Morning. Found it amazing. The writer of Hebrews was able to pretty much fit the entire story of God in four verses. It took me ten pages. We'll be we'll be out before lunch, don't worry. I talk fast. Yom Kippur is one of the high holy days of the Jewish faith. It is a day of prayer, confession, and fasting. It is a day to lay out your sins before God. That was September 22nd for this year, if anyone was wondering. This day is known as the Day of Atonement. It is the day to atone for your sins. In the days of the temple, this day looked much different. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, humanity has not been worthy to be in the presence of God. Aaron, Moses' brother and high priest to the people of Israel, lost his two sons because they ventured too close to God's presence. The prophet Isaiah thought he was going to die when he saw God's, God's throne room, saying, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. In Leviticus 16, God commanded Moses after the death of Aaron's sons to set up a day that someone can enter God's presence on behalf of the people. That day is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is not just a day to cleanse the people, but also completely cleanse God's holy temple. We're going to focus on what the high priest does on behalf of the people of God. It would take a long time to go through the entirety of Leviticus 16. As the high priest prepares to go beyond the veil into the very presence of God, he first cleanses himself with water. Sounds a lot like baptism. He does this to be able to put on the holy garments he wears as he stands in the presence of God. He then gets two goats from the congregation for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. However, before the high priest can present the sacrifice for the people, he first needs to make a sacrifice for himself and his family. He sheds the blood of a bull as a sin offering to cover his sins and the sins of his family. Then he takes the censure full of hot coals and two handfuls full of sweet incense and goes beyond the curtain into the very presence of God. He places the coals before God's mercy seat and places the incense over the coals so it makes a sweet-smelling cloud before the presence of God. This step is vitally important. If the high priest does not follow this step, he will die. Then with his finger, he sprinkles the mercy seat with the blood of the bull seven times for the sins of him and his household. Then and only then can he offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. The high priest is now ready to offer a sin offering on behalf of the people. He slaughters one of the goats as a sin offering for the people. Again, he enters into the very presence of God to present the blood of the goat. He does as he did, he does as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkles the blood of the goat on the mercy seat seven times. The live goat is taken by the high priest. He puts his hands on the head of the goat and confesses all of the sins of the people of the people onto the goat. The, the live goat was then taken out to the wilderness and let go into a barren land. The goat carried the sins of the people away from the people 
to be seen no more. Then the burnt offerings were offered as a way to finish the atonement process. The things that died because of the sin of the people was consumed in the burnt offerings. The sins of the people were consumed in the fire. <clears throat> this was done once a year because of the sins of the people. On the seventh month, of the, on the tenth day, the people of Israel would deny themselves make atonement for, and make atonement for their sins once a year. Without shedding the blood of bulls and goats, there would be no atonement for the sin of the people. It is through the, it is through the shedding of blood that the high priest can enter into the very presence of God. At the time of the high priest entering into the very presence of, of God, life, that, was, that, uh, that uh, act was life-threatening. The high priest could only enter God's presence once a year, and it was only the high priest who could enter God's presence. To take away the possibility of death, God needs more perfect sacrifices than the blood of bulls and goats. Thanks be to God that through His grace and steadfast love for us, He's provided us a more perfect sacrifice for the whole world. The Hebrews text today explains how Christ is a perfect sacrifice. He is a scapegoat, the scapegoat for the sin of the world. Christ, like the scapegoat from, Levit from Leviticus, was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Perhaps the same wilderness that the scapegoat, which carried the sins of God's people, was led to. There he faced the same temptations that caused many others to sin and beat every one of them. Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice for the whole world. Hebrews 9.26 If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. On a Friday about 2,000 years ago, the perfect sacrifice for sin was offered. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in true keeping with the Day of Atonement, denied himself in the garden by embracing the Father's will, took up his cross, and went to Calvary to remove sin by his death on the cross. Christ bore the sins that made it treacherous for sinful human beings to enter the presence of God. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that makes us whole. Hebrews talks about how without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It was about noon when Christ died on the cross. Scripture tells us the earth shook, the sun went dark, and the veil in the temple was torn in two. And with his last breath, Christ from the cross declared, it is finished. The veil in the temple was torn in two. The same veil that the high priest could only go, be, could, could only go beyond once a year. The veil that separated the people from the presence of God. Upon Christ's death, the barrier between the people and the presence of God was torn down. No longer does the high priest need to cautiously approach the presence of God annually on our behalf. We can now boldly approach the throne of grace. There is no longer any need for the sacrifice of goats and bulls, because Christ, a more perfect sacrifice, shed his blood for us. The cross of Christ is where the story of God and the story of us intersect. Because the death of Christ was the final payment for the sin of humanity, we can live into the story of God, if we so choose to do so. If we choose to deny ourselves and embrace the redemption that is in Christ, 
and to have our sins washed in the, in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, then we can live into God's plan for his coming kingdom. Hebrews said, says, Christ died for the sins of many. But wasn't Christ a perfect sacrifice for the whole world? Yes, the redemption found at the cross is there for all. But not all will embrace it. Some people over the course of history have decided not to allow to have their story changed by allowing to not by allowing God's story. Have I distorted? Okay, I'm going to try to read that sentence again. Some people over the course of history have decided not to allow to have their story changed by allowing God's story through the through the perfect sacrifice of Christ to transform their story. This is why it's important to deny ourselves. Embracing the story of God, it's, it's a lot like sending out invitations for a party or a wedding. You might send out 200 invitations. 200 people don't come. God's invita invitation is extended to all. If we are willing to deny ourselves and allow God's story to transform ours. Hebrews 9.24 For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one, and true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. Hebrews tells us that our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice for sin, now stands in the very presence of God on our behalf. Romans 8.34 asks us, Who is to condemn us? It is Christ who died, who was raised, for, who was raised from the dead, and who intercedes for us. There is, often, there is awesome comfort in that verse. There is comfort knowing that Christ intercedes for us before God the Father. When it feels like no one else is interceding, interceding for you, know that Jesus is interceding for you, for you now before the Father. Earlier in Hebrews, we learned that Jesus Christ, our high priest, lives to make intercession for us. It is because of Christ's shed blood and his role as our high priest that we too can boldly approach God's throne of grace. Let's recall Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly before the throne of grace, of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hebrews 9.28 So also Christ was offered once for all time as he sacrificed to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Christ is coming again to bring the story of God to completion. That is to establish the kingdom here on earth. He's not coming again to deal with the sins of humanity. He's already done that once and for all. He is coming to bring the kingdom that is not yet here. He is returning to finish the mission of God to redeem all of creation. He is coming for all those who are eagerly waiting. Since we confess Christ as Lord and claim him as our high priest, and because of his perfect sacrifice of the blood of the eternal covenant, we are considered worthy to boldly approach the throne of grace 
We eagerly await the coming of Christ. We eagerly await his coming kingdom. The kingdom we heard about just last week, last Sunday from Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of, out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. You will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. This is the kingdom we eagerly await. This is the kingdom that is not yet. What do we do while we wait? How do we live into the kingdom that is already here? As Christ told his followers, the kingdom is within you. Let's begin to answer the question about the already with this question. When we, pr when we pray the Our Father and pray your kingdom come, are we going to a window to watch an eager expectation? Or are we going out the door to actively live into the kingdom that is already here? Christ's sacrifice made it possible that we can offer our world glimpses into the coming kingdom. Christ's sacrifice made it possible that our stories can be transformed into his stories. In a world overcome by darkness, people need to see the light of the kingdom at work in the world. That is what we do while we eagerly await the not yet. We actively live out the kingdom that is already here. And this is really the first of a two-part two sermon, because the next sermon will talk about how as a congregation, how as a community, we encourage each other to live this way, and how we, how we share life together. This is the gospel of our, of our Lord Jesus the Christ.